This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. News of the plea deal taken by Hunter Biden after nearly five years of investigation is serving as a political Rorschach based on party affiliation. For those on the left, Hunter Biden's plea, which will see the president's son cop to misdemeanor tax and gun charges, is evidence of the integrity of the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system today under the Biden administration, not the one under the Trump administration, and demonstrates that no one is above the law, including the son of the president of the United States. But for those on the right who have twisted themselves into apoplexy over what they see as a corruption protecting one of its own, now leading the charge of naysayers was former President Donald Trump himself, who couldn't wait to bash Biden and draw attention away from his own predicament, if even for just a few moments. Wow! The corrupt Biden DOJ just cleared up hundreds of years of criminal liability by giving Hunter Biden a mere traffic ticket. Our system is broken, Trump posted after the plea was announced on his untruth social. And Trump's rivals in the Republican nomination fight joined Trump as well in performative outrage, making similar corrupt system claims. Republican presidential contender Vivek Ramaswamy described the plea as an Orwellian gesture that gives the news media exactly the level of cover that they needed to continue justifying the Trump indictment. And former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley said in her own statement that the plea raises further questions about Hunter Biden's crimes and the double standard of justice. I mean, what double fucking standard are you talking about? You two fucking assholes. That's my question. Here was a kid beset with addiction issues after the death of his brother, Bo. Okay, his fucking life fell apart and it fell apart in public. He made very dumb mistakes as one does while they're high on crack. I mean, the guy took enough new selfies to fill a thousand books. He has been humiliated and degraded for a lifetime. I mean, anybody thinks that that's not humiliating and degrading, well, wake the fuck up. I think that's punishment enough. I mean, not for Trump and his cronies, though. You think that he was the second coming of fucking ISIS. But he's not. And big tough boy Ron DeSnotnose had this to add. If Hunter was not connected to the elite DC class... He would have been put in jail a long time ago. Oh, way to go there, tough stuff, Ron. I mean, you probably would have knocked on him if you had the chance as well. After Trump was indicted on federal charges related to his theft of government documents, DeSantis insisted that the Justice Department simply hates Donald Trump. Why so zealous in pursuing Trump, yet so passive about Hillary or Hunter? He posted on a tweet referring to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Well, the answer is because Trump, for his part, has made a series of bullshit claims that his own indictment is part of an effort by the Justice Department to distract from Republicans on the House Oversight Committee which has uncovered unverified allegations. I mean, no proof, just unverified allegations that President Biden was involved in his son's business dealings. 
they have such a hard-on for this and the laptop from hell and this other nonsense that it has become conspiratorial lore that Hunter Biden is the second coming of the devil. As president, Trump demanded that the DOJ investigate Hunter Biden, a truly unusual public demand by a president to investigate a political rival. Then, after he's indicted, Trump says the investigation into Hunter Biden is simply a conspiracy to justify his prosecution. I mean, seriously, again, it's as I keep talking about, it's all about Trump deflection. And never mind that you actually did what they said you did. I mean, that just doesn't matter. This is an extension of the line Trump has repeatedly deployed about the dozens of federal charges he currently faces regarding his alleged mishandling of sensitive classified material related to United States national security. Trump has claimed again and again that he is facing a political witch hunt, that the charges he faces are a smokescreen intended to remove him from the 2024 presidential race, and that the real criminals, Joe Biden and his family, are getting off scot-free. I mean, have you ever noticed how Trump does that? How he deflects it's always someone else? Hello? I mean, then there are several problems with this. Setting aside the ridiculous nature of the allegations against the Bidens, the biggest issue is probably that Trump has all but fucking admitted to refusing to hand back the classified documents for months after leaving the office. But there's another pressing issue as well. Trump could have gotten the same fucking deal, and probably even a better one, a lighter one, if he had just listened to his goddamn lawyer's advice. All he had to do was return the documents. I mean, seriously, all the fucking moron had to do was return the documents after the DOJ investigation had begun. Had he simply done this, or if he had returned them like a normal person when the National Archives asked for them back, it is unlikely that he would have been charged at all. Nope, that's not where we are, though. We're dealing with a serial fucking narcissistic sociopath who doesn't understand why he has to follow the law. If he took a plea deal like the one Hunter Biden agreed to on Tuesday, he would have also likely received a parking ticket or even less. The DOJ did not want to have to charge a former president with a crime. They've all but admitted that. They have a nightmare now on their hands. They bent over backwards to get Trump to try and not break the law. He just couldn't help himself. So his refusal to return documents that he had unlawfully kept and then after an investigation had been opened, refused to even try to negotiate a settlement with the Department of Justice directly, which then led to the dozens of charges that he was hit with earlier this month including a charge of espionage, obstruction of justice, a laundry list that could keep him behind bars for a very, very long time. And I say to that, God willing. So no, there is no comparison between Hunter Biden and Donald Trump. It's merely more smokescreen from the MAGA misformation machine, hoping to find a way to distract from the reality that Trump is fucking guilty and going down. Good luck with that, buddy. You'll have plenty of time in the prison rec room to think about how you could have played it differently.
Welcome to the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. In the 1980s, they were the largest financial markets in the world. This guy made two million, this guy made three million, this guy made four million. It was like an ATM machine for uh, traders. Traders were making money hand over fist, and they thought it was their own little secret. Four FBI men wearing wires infiltrated the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. This lavish and daring undercover operation was the most expensive in the Bureau's history. But was it successful? It all depends who you ask. The FBI used extraordinary means to detect extraordinary fraud. They were down there to expose a big cheating scandal, did they? I don't think they did. From Entropy Media, this is Brokers, Bagmen, and Moles. Available now wherever you listen. And now for the main event. My next guest returning to Mea Culpa is Norm Eisen. There's pretty much nothing going on in politics today that Eisen doesn't have an educated opinion about. Eisen is a CNN legal analyst and the founder and executive chair of States United Democracy Center, a nonpartisan organization advancing free, fair, and secure elections. His articles for the Brookings Institute and elsewhere have made the case for why Trump and his band of criminal conspiracists represent a clear and present danger to our democracy. His latest piece for MSNBC lays out how Jack Smith can defeat Trump and put him behind bars. Now, Norm Eisen served as special counsel to President Barack Obama on ethics. And in that role, he was dubbed Mr. No and the ethics czar because he's well known for his tough anti-corruption approach to governance. Now, having spent time in Eastern Europe as the ambassador to the Czech Republic, Eisen cares deeply about the region and is also working with the Brookings Institute to help Ukraine recover and thrive once Putin's war has ended. But today, it's all indictment talk, and Norm is ready to put the bracelets on little Donnie for good. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norm, before we get into all things indictment, right, I wanted to ask you your opinion about the Hunter Biden plea deal. Yesterday, you tweeted, and I quote, Knowing Hunter and his lawyer, a true legal brawler, I kind of expected them to fight. But based on what we're learning, the plea was a smart move for them and prosecutors. First off, what is it that you're learning that makes the guilty plea a smart move for both sides? And secondly, how does this, at least from an optics standpoint, affect the DOJ's case against Donald Trump? I mean, he's already using the plea deal and crying fucking double standard, double standard, and it will undoubtedly become a GOT talking point, which it already has, as we heard from Kevin McCarthy, right, as Trump's case progresses. So if you would, with your experience that only the Norm Eisen that we all know and love, unpack this for my listeners, what you're thinking about all of this. Michael, thank you for having me back again. The two of us have both lived the history of um, the Trump and hopefully what is the, uh, will someday be known as the post-Trump era uh, together. 
Um, <laughs> and, and and you rightly point out that the, the Hunter Biden uh, criminal investigation and possible resolution, uh, there's still uh, technically the um, U.S. attorney said the investigation is ongoing. We'll talk about that. You rightly point out that that has to be considered in the context of Donald Trump's problems uh, and um, and the uses and abuses that will be made of this plea deal. Now, let me tell you why I think the plea deal is a good one and for all concerned and under normal circumstances would be viewed as justice being done. Uh, for uh, Hunter and his team, including Abby Lowell, um, these were charges that they could have fought. They were ready to fight. They had reasonable things to say about the charges. There's two tax misdemeanors here where, you know, uh, Hunter was on drugs uh, and uh, he he paid in full. Ultimately, he could have gone before a Delaware jury. But the Biden name is not a negative in front of a Delaware jury, Michael. He could have gone before a Delaware jury and said, look, I made it right. Uh, you know, I wasn't in my right mind. He has a redemption story. Juries like that. Uh, there was a gun charge that he was not candid on a form and he possessed a gun uh, while on drugs. Um, those that did not even get a plea deal. That got what we call diversion, an off ramp, uh, where uh, if he keeps himself clean, uh, it, those charges will eventually be erased from the books for him. That was going to be legally challenging that gun charge. Um, there's a very substantial Second Amendment issue, and there was what we call a selective prosecution issue. Nobody gets charged for a felony for that, unless you use the gun to commit some other crime. It's it's not usually, um, you know, would not normally be prosecuted as a felony. So um, that, that made the case an attractive one for Hunter and his lawyer, but they would have had the risk. There's always a risk if you go to trial. This erases the risk and uh, Hunter can get on with his life. More importantly, um, it's also a good deal for the prosecution because all those arguments I just articulated, they could have gone to trial and lost. And you know what? They And this is what galls me about your case, Michael. We'll talk about your case. Um, nobody should be treated differently under the law if their name is Biden or Trump. You should, Hunter Biden should not get uh, better treatment than anybody else because his name is Biden, but he shouldn't get worse treatment. And if he had been charged with multiple felonies, he'd gone to trial, that would have been something wrong the prosecutors had done. And, and it would have hurt, harmed the rule of law. So because they could have lost and because uh, the rule of law demanded it, it was the right thing for prosecutors to resolve it. And it was the right thing politically. I'm sure this is why Hunter and Abby Lowell, I know both of them well, I'm sure this is why, and the rest of Hunter's legal team, I'm sure this is why they they took this deal, even though they had a winnable case. It removes somewhat of a cloud 
from the political campaign. But Michael, Michael, uh, as you point out, uh, the uh, today's MAGA majority led by Donald Trump will distort anything. And they're already abusing this to say there's a two-tier system of justice. For the reasons I explained, there's only one tier. You know, the thing I don't like about your treatment is uh, I feel that uh, that you did not get that same uh, equal treatment under the law. Well, then, then I guess there is a two-tier system. And listening to Trump, you see, this is the problem. And this is why Trump resonates, especially with the stupid. He resonates because there are times that he'll say something that even they can fully understand that there is a problem. So I'll give you an example. So on his untruth social platform, he goes ahead and he puts out right after this um, determination of Hunter Biden comes out. Wow! Exclamation mark. The corrupt Biden DOJ just cleared up hundreds of years of criminal liability by giving Hunter Biden a mere traffic ticket. Our system is broken. Now, like yourself, Norm, you know, I went to law school. I have my JD degree. I practiced until being disbarred. I don't understand what the hell he's talking about here, right? Cleared up hundreds of years of criminal liability. What the hell is the idiot speaking about? What clearing up of what liability based upon Hunter Biden and this case? And again, the problem that goes on when it becomes somebody of notoriety is if it's not consistent with the way the rule of law is operated, well, then it's easy for him and others like Kevin McCarthy to start talking about a two-tier system because Kevin McCarthy, look, Look at my specific case, all right? And first, let me just say this. Speaker Kevin McCarthy obviously didn't hold back either, right? The whole GOP went on a complete rampage about the decision to offer Hunter Biden this plea deal, saying it contrasts a two-tier legal justice system when compared to Trump's federal arraignment a week earlier. Now, This is the part, again, where people are saying, hey, yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair. Even Michael Cohen will turn around at this point and say it is not fair. And there is a two-tier system. But the two-tier system has absolutely nothing to do with Trump's federal arraignment. It has to do with Donald Trump's weaponization of the Department of Justice against his critics, meaning... Yours truly, like I outlined in my book, Revenge, that I beg everybody to read simply because it shows you how corrupt the system can be made if you have a corrupt president with a corrupt, willing and complicit attorney general. And here's Kevin McCarthy's statement, and I quote, if you are the president's leading political opponent, the DOJ tries to literally put you in jail and give you prison time. If you are Biden's son, you get a sweetheart deal. Well, I'm neither the leading political opponent for the presidential campaign, nor am I the president's son. So 
How is it that they are comparing apples to oranges when mine is an apples to apples, oranges to oranges case that they just, like Kevin McCarthy, elect to ignore? Uh, You know, um, it bespeaks the terrible corruption uh, that has crept in to, I I won't say the... um, Republican Party as a whole, every single Republican elected official and voter, no. But it seems that a majority of the majority in the House of Representatives and in the country at large is a MAGA majority. And Michael, you came to your senses and you um, you broke with them and you've done a tremendous service to the country. That's why I was proud with your lawyer, Danya Perry, to co-author the afterword to um, Revenge and explain the ways in which uh, I think you were wronged by the system, particularly because you were willing to step up and take responsibility. Uh, that being said, what... I, I, but Norm, Norm but it's, I think it's only fair to the listeners and to you and to what you wrote I took responsibility for the things that I did do wrong. Specifically, no no I have doubt. stated since November of 2018 in the pre-sentencing memo that there is no tax evasion. I did not tax evade. In fact, something that Neil Katyal and also Ellie Honig both said on television this morning when they were referring to the fact that Hunter Biden is a first-time tax offender who made right on it. Not only did he pay the tax that was owed, but he also paid the penalties that were associated. Well, guess what? So was I, Norm. So was I. I've never, not only have I never been notified that there was a tax issue, to this day, I've never been notified. I am a first-time tax offender. You're right. There was a $1.3 million error. That's called the tax omission, right? But I got charged with five felony tax evasion charges over a course of not like Hunter Biden five years plus in an investigation. Norm, I had 48 hours or they were going to indict my wife as a co-conspirator. You know, um, you know, um, Michael, uh, that those are common pressure tactics. Um, the acceptance of responsibility that, the, and I, I, I don't think that was that they were right. As you know, Danya and I detailed all of the things that we think uh, were amiss, uh, particularly after you pled uh in that afterward we wrote for the book and and those injustices continue till today but i want to contrast your acceptance of responsibility where you stood up in court you said yes i did this with with donald trump uh with uh, individual number one uh a conspiracy to um to make those hush money payments in order to influence the campaign. Um, It was really the original election interference of 2016. Uh, The repayment 
Uh, that's what Donald Trump is now being tried for by Alvin Bragg. And Michael, you accepted that responsibility. What Kevin McCarthy is doing and the rest of the MAGA majority is is they are are not willing to accept responsibility for their role in Donald Trump's wrongdoing. They're not willing to cast responsibility on Donald Trump for his uh, alleged misconduct in that 2016 election interference or in the classified documents interference uh, that the Mar-a-Lago case, he kept those hundreds of classified documents endangering our national security. They don't want to talk about that. They soon are going to have to deal with the 2020 election interference because Fannie Willis is bringing charges. I think Jack Smith is going to bring federal charges to complement D.A. Willis's Georgia state charges. That is a lot of interference by Donald Trump. Kevin McCarthy doesn't want to talk about that. He refused to talk to the January 6th committee about his role in some of this. And I think that's a shameful abdication of his responsibility. I think the MAGA majority in the House of Representatives has abdicated responsibility. And that's very dangerous for our country. And I like to contrast that with your acceptance of responsibility. Okay, so so look, I am of a fervent belief that the determination given to Hunter Biden in this plea is fair and legitimate. We're actually one of the only countries in the world that imprisons people regarding taxes. All right, we we have well, that's. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. We're one of the only countries in the world that actually does that. We imprison people for um, for taxes. First time tax offender like myself, like Hunter Biden. How about the fact that it's not as if I didn't pay taxes? I didn't pay the right amount. I did have a CPA that I paid forty grand to do my taxes. I had an eighteen hundred page tax return each and every year. I paid over four million. I paid four million dollars in taxes during those years. Yeah, there was an error. It's okay. I never took a dollar from anybody. I didn't owe. I owed Uncle Sam. I paid it before sentencing. Meanwhile, all I asked for the other day in a motion was to be released from supervised release. Yeah. And Judge Furman, Judge Furman sided with Nicholas Roos, the scumbag prosecutor who took over now after Tom McKay went and joined some private law firm, probably making a seven-figure salary, which none of them are deservant of. And they denied it based upon the ongoing continuous misrepresentations by the Southern District of New York regarding my case. Oh, Michael Cohen didn't accept responsibility. Read his book, Revenge. He doesn't accept responsibility. Re- listen to him on his podcast, Mea Culpa, or Political Beatdown. He doesn't take responsibility. That's not true. Again, I take responsibility for what I actually did. I'm just now in a position, thank God to all of my listeners and to television and journalists and so on, that I have a microphone to expose the corruption that exists in the federal court system, specifically the Southern District of New York, where the prosecutors only do what they do. They're not looking to prosecute. They're looking to convict. And it doesn't matter the truth. And they themselves refuse to accept responsibility. So then when you start listening to people like 
Governor Ron DeSnotnose over there, sitting there. If Hunter Biden were a Republican, he'd be in jail years ago. Or you got the guy Vivek Ramaswamy, right, from Ohio, the entrepreneur that's running yeah. for the president. The Hunter Biden plea deal is a joke. It is a feigned retreat and reveals that they're even more scared than ever of scrutiny for the real crimes. No, it's the GOP. It's the Trump administration's weaponization of the Justice Department that they're afraid. And they ignore the history. They ignore the past. And they only want to concentrate on the here and now. But they still want to represent history. It's really an interesting phenomenon on what they're doing. It's misrepresentation. It's misinformation. It's disinformation. It's malinformation. And you know what? It's why my buddy um, Jeff Levine and Dave Schwartz and I, that we had sent out letters requesting uh, for either my early termination or for the weaponization committee headed by Jim Jordan to investigate the Trump administration for weaponizing the DOJ. All he's doing is deflecting, and I want my listeners to understand that. And you'll understand more, especially if you read or listen to Revenge. You'll understand just how corrupt the system can be. And it's, um, like I've said, since November of 2018, it's fucking disgraceful. Uh, what can I tell you? <laughs> I think it's terrible. That's why I wrote that afterward to revenge. I think the consequences of the disparate treatment in uh, post guilty plea in various ways are still being felt. And it's wrong. Um, and, and that is the price of breaking with MAGA. If you stick with them, they'll defend you no matter how outrageous yep. the behavior, if you come over to the rule. Yeah, I would, have been, I would have been pardoned. By now, Norm, I would have been pardoned a long time ago, just like Roger Stone and others. And yet, I did. And yet That's you right. did the right thing. And you continue to do the right thing. And I still continue. And it's sad because I do. still continue to be denied anything and everything simply because I'm Michael Cohen. And that is, uh, you know... It's wrong. Uh, it's it's also the uh, the burden of history. Not easy, not easy to be a leader. It must be particularly frustrating. I know because we're friends and we talk about it. It is frustrating that Donald Trump has yet to receive his comeuppance. But Michael, as I, I just wrote for MS, as I just wrote for MSNBC, the four horsemen and horsewomen of the legal Trump apocalypse are coming for him. Alvin Bragg, Jack Smith, and Fonnie Willis. I think that those, there's four state and federal cases. Don't forget about Tish James. Him. Don't forget our right. unsinkable Tish, Tish James, James. With her civil case. Uh, she's one of those horse women. Uh, e. Jean Carroll is another one. Uh, the new E. Jean Carroll, this next E. Jean Carroll case is coming. So, you know, Trump is facing legal accountability. He's fighting furiously. But, uh, Michael, I don't think he's going to get away with it for very much longer. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's change topics for a second because, again, my blood pressure is through the roof here. Let's talk about Jack Smith for the moment. You brought him up, so we need to talk about him. 
and I and I bring up Jack Smith because you recently wrote that he has become the center of the Trump accountability universe, even with Judge Cannon presiding over the trial. Now, if you're Jack Smith, what's your long game strategy with Trump? I mean, Smith is too smart to put all his eggs right in the document yeah. basket. So if you would, Norm, walk us through what the next few months look like as indictments for January 6th and Georgia are still looming. I mean, are the various entities consulting with one another, you know, um, you know regarding these you indictments? Know, I don't believe they are consulting with one another. I think that what's happening is, obviously, they all read the papers. Um, and what's and Tish James, um, who I admire, um, made some comments that I disagreed with about this. Uh, and then Fannie Willis um, implicitly corrected course. Um, the most here's what's happening. Um, the most powerful of these cases, the biggest slam dunk of these cases, and maybe the one because it's so clear that can move the fastest is the Mar-a-Lago documents case. That's why I say Jack Smith has kind of emerge as the leader of the pack of that those horsemen and horsewomen. Um, that's not to say that the funny Willis case um, for the 2020 election interference is not a good one. It is likely going to be a RICO case, big case, long jail terms, potentially for Trump and others. Uh, even the Bragg case for 2016 election interference uh, where you're an important witness it is is a critical case because that was the gateway drug. But the document, the classified document interference case, wow, that is the one. Right now, it has an August 2022 trial date. Now, that trial date will slip, but Judge Cannon, who I've been very critical of for her prior rulings, um, she's laid down that date as a marker, and I hope she'll really hold everybody's feet to the fire to get a speedy trial. By the way, Jack Smith, as the leader of the PAC, has extra responsibilities, Michael. One of those responsibilities is he needs to get security clearance for Trump's lawyers fast. He can do nothing on his side to slow that case down. As soon as it's cleared, he needs to make his motions under SEPA, uh, the Classified Information Procedures Act, which governs how you try a case using classified documents. He needs to do a hurry up offense, fast break, constantly pushing that case up the court as fast as he can. Democracy depends on it. So that's why I say he's the leader of the pack, all of those considerations. I think that that case is the closest thing we have to a slam dunk and Donald Trump finally um, facing um, legal accountability and criminal accountability for all of the different kinds of interference, election interference, classified documents interference, uh, interference with Jack Smith's investigation. That's called obstruction of justice. Uh, parenthetically, it makes me sick to see John Durham trotting around his discredited theses, exonerating, purportedly exonerating Donald Trump. Because Robert Mueller found um, multiple instances, in my view, 10 instances of obstruction of justice. That's not exoneration. 
Donald Trump should have been prosecuted for those as well. Bill Barr, your adversary. Yes. Bill Barr also uh, gave Donald Trump a pass for those wrongly, in my view. We should be talking about that, not about Durham's bogus uh, conclusions that have been repudiated by others. But um, uh, that's why Smith, at any rate, Smith does deliver legal accountability. That's why he's the leader of the pack. So I'm going to disagree with you on this, Norm. I think the leader of the pack is well, Alvin Bragg. I believe it's the easiest case for them to prove. You know, yes, we all okay. know what Trump is going Fair. to do. So I'll give you a... a can you a, we? Can there, give be, you two leaders, one, right? can there not, be two leaders of the pack? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it, they're, they're going to be simultaneous with, you know, I think with one another. They're both on a fast track. But I do really believe that... Um, I hate, I'll tell you, I hate when people start handicapping, you know, which case is more relevant. I, I acknowledge, absolutely 100% acknowledge that the case of mishandling of top secret documents, nuclear documents, war documents is, is substantially more significant of a crime than the hush money payment campaign finance violation, um, false records act, and so on. But that doesn't mean that the misrepresentation, the campaign finance violation, or the, um, or the document, or the document, uh, the, what do you call it? Uh, you know, the misstating on the documents, business records, is not it's a crime. It's very serious. I mean, it is. Okay. Very serious. It's not as, it is serious. It's not as serious as, you know, mishandling of top secret government documents. I can see that. But it's still a And crime. look at the pattern, so, Michael. You know, look I at the pattern. He mishandling business records. He's mishandling government documents. That case, you make an excellent point. It's a very important case. And, you know, I've been very outspoken about that case. It is also a very strong case. Interestingly, it has a tax angle. I've written about that as well. And Greg yes, has have. talked about the, the tax angle, the Donald Trump covering up tax issues through these false records. But it's a gateway drug for both. Until this moment, I never thought of it this way. It's a gateway drug both for the 2020 election interference, because it was 2016 election interference, and for the post-presidential uh, document interference because both of them are about document mishandling. Yeah. You know, but that's very, it's a good point. But what's funny is, you know, in the $500 million lawsuit that Trump has brought against me. So the, the other day, uh, their attorney, after, you know, being noticed now for like, what, two, three weeks, uh, the deposition is supposed to take place uh, on Friday, right? Uh, and they just notified uh, my counsel there, Danya, and a guy named Ben Brodsky. So Danya Perry and Ben Brodsky were notified that um, Brito, Alejandro Brito, is not available on Friday or that Trump isn't available on Friday with no alternative dates to be set. So now we're waiting for Judge Gale within which to make the determination on a court order. Anything that Trump can do, point being, Whatever he can do to delay 
That's what he's going to do. So I don't believe that the August 2022 date, as much as we'd all like to see that happen, I don't believe that that's going to happen. They're going to make some sort of a a motion, a protective order motion, uh, like they're going to do in my specific case to prevent it uh, so that they could delay, delay, delay. And that brings me to my next question for you, because obviously that's going to then go before Judge Cannon. And I'm curious... How worried are you about her having to preside over this case? I mean, if you're Jack Smith, how do you handle this threat at trial? Or to the trial, for that matter? Um, If I were Jack Smith, what I would do is um, do my part as always as fast as possible and force her if she wants to do the most damaging thing, which is delay uh, to expose herself, that as Jack Smith, I'm ready to go at all times. She's slowing things down. She's granting Trump's lawyers request to slow things down. I would fight that, build the record of unfairness. Obviously, if she starts making bad decisions, which it's early days, she hasn't done yet. I would uh, build the record, get ready to go up to the 11th Circuit. The 11th Circuit on appeal. The 11th Circuit has the power to um, um, reassign her. They do that when they think a judge exhibits a pattern of bias towards a defendant. She's. We already have two very important data points. She made two... Uh, bizarre decisions favoring Trump that were slapped down by an extremely conservative 11th Circuit. First, appointing a special master, and second, saying DOJ could not use the documents that were obtained using the search warrant um, in investigating until the special master resolved the issues. Those were ridiculous decisions. The a very conservative 11th Circuit, two Trump appointees, and a third judge who was on Trump's Supreme Court shortlist really slapped her down. Let give her enough rope if she hangs herself with a um, uh, another bad decision. Then take that up to the Eleventh Circuit. Okay, that's what I would do if I were Jack Smith, and 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 I would always be pushing the ball up the court. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Okay, but Norm, look. So Trump is arguing that the Presidential Records Act allows him to keep personal materials. And we know it's not true. But as you wrote, and I quote, what could be less personal than attack plans and nuclear secrets? So look, Norm, exactly. you helped oversee the Presidential Records Act at the White House, and it provides no cover at all for Trump's bullshit line of argument. He's also arguing, this fucking idiot, that he could declassify documents just by thinking about it, as I call it, the Yoda effect, right? Ah, declassify you do. Hmm? Huh? Yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, he's, oh, he's, he's just fucking insane. Now, if you would, discuss with me, how do you think that the defense will try to defend him in this case if all the arguments that he has has absolutely no basis in reality. Um, well, 
Um, you just you call it the Yoda defense. How old are you, Mike? I am fifty-seven. Well, this is shows the slight. I'm sixty-two, and it shows the slight difference in our cultural references. I refer to it as the bewitched. <laughs> she defense was great, Elizabeth Montgomery, because it's like Elizabeth Montgomery. She could twinkle her nose. And cause magic to happen. That's what Donald Trump thinks with these documents. That he can declassify just by thinking it. It doesn't work that way. He really, he has almost no defenses. It reminds me of what happened to Fox News in the Dominion litigation, where the judge ruled out most of their defenses before trial. I think that helped precipitate the decision to settle because they were gonna, they were facing a massive trial verdict in that civil case. This is a criminal case, but Trump's in the same boat. He has uh, three main defenses, and and I would pull my hair out if I were his defense lawyer. I would have told him to take a plea deal like Hunter Biden did, uh, and I would still tell him that. Okay, he this automatic declassification defense doesn't work because that's not the law. There are statute, there's an executive order that I worked on. He did not change any of that. The law provides that you got to go through a declassification process. He didn't do that. So he couldn't declassify. He admitted it, by the way. If you listen to that tape at Bedminster, where he's after his presidency, he's talking about the Iran attack plans. He says, oh, when I was president, I could have declassified. He's talking about the declassification process. He followed it. We have document documentary proof. When he wanted to declassify, he followed that process. He followed that executive order that I helped Obama write that is still in effect, that binds him to. So that automatic declassification doesn't work. His second argument uh, for declassification is that um, that he essentially, it's that these laws don't apply to him. He has unlimited classification power. It's unconstitutional to limit uh, his handling of the materials. That won't work either, Michael. It's fanciful. And then the third argument is, because all of that fails, and he knows it, and he's been told that, that's why you constantly hear him harping on the Presidential Records Act. But the the provision that he relies on says a president can take personal documents. Uh, there's nothing personal. You pointed out what I wrote. There's nothing personal about uh, a, a set of records uh, about our most highly classified secrets, attack plans uh, for the United States on other countries, threats of attack upon the United States, nuclear secrets. Come on, that's not personal. It's the antithesis. So again, the arguments fail. I think that they're going to have a very, very hard time when this case gets to trial. And that's why I say Jack Smith with Alvin Bragg are leading the pack. And soon they'll be joined on the uh, Mount Rushmore of Trump accountability by Fonnie Willis because she's going to bring her case 
I think as soon as August, if not August. September. Yeah, you know what's great was Brett Baer uh, with that interview of Donald Trump. He turns around and says to him, why did you have this very sensitive national security defense documents like the war plans for a strike on Iran, right? Um, and Trump then responds, so like every other president, I take things out. And in my case, I took it out pretty much in a hurry. But people packed it up and we left. I want to be very clear what he's doing here. Right now, he's denying knowledge and he's claiming other people actually packed it in order to throw them under the bus. Right. I had clothing in there. I had all sorts of personal items and they are much, much stuff. Not even English, but OK. He then, you know, went on bashing, um, you know, Bill Barr, which is good because I I despise that fat piece of shit, too, insisting that he fired him because he didn't have the courage to go after so many different things, that he was a coward. I mean, he goes all over the place. But I'm going to tell you, Norm, I'm going to yeah. tell you something. I'll tell you what really makes me nervous about this mishandling of the documents and so on case there in Florida. Very different, again, from our DA case here in New York. And that's the jury. Because I'm concerned, and I wonder if you are as well, about finding in Florida 12 impartial jurors, right? Which, you know, we have to acknowledge that Trump has turned that certain swath of Florida into a bright red state, you know, during his time. He has his diehard sycophantic supporters in that specific area. Whereas I don't believe that he has, he has supporters, but they're not the same diehards that you have there in Palm Beach or even in South Florida. So all it takes is just one MAGA fanatic to cause a hung jury. Give me your opinion. I have been appearing... Uh, before juries for more than three decades, everywhere in the country. Uh, and I have faith that they will be able to choose uh, a fair jury. My experience of jurors is that they put their biases to the side and they evaluate the evidence before them. So I'm not unduly concerned. Uh, sure, it's crossed my mind, but the essential conduct in this case happened in Florida. The law requires mm -hmm. Jack Smith to bring the case where the, where the essential conduct was. There were uh, pieces of it in D.C., in New Jersey, it appears, but I, I think he took the, you know, rule of law approach to making that decision, frankly. I think they'll be able to get a fair jury. Um, you know, that's another place besides delay where Judge Cannon can influence things. But and I've called for her recusal. But let's see. I mean, maybe she'll be a very. Yeah, I'm fair not judge. sure that it's right to ask her to recuse herself at this point. You know what she did before was wrong. I acknowledge with you. It was crazy. It was weird. But and it was wrong. But you know what? I think we give her the opportunity now to show herself, show that she is a serious judge. And if, in fact, as you said before, she does the wrong thing, then you move to the 11th Circuit, right? It's the 11th uh, that's over there. Um, 
And if not, let her continue to do her thing. I don't, I don't think she's going to. But then again, I'm trying to be, you know, optimistic. I tell you what else I do worry about here. I worry about something called Trump indictment fatigue. I hear it from so many people. I really do. It's the sense that mm. he's been indicted so much at this point that, you know, these sycophants, these supporters, they're not even arguing anymore that he didn't do it. All right. They're not even arguing that he didn't do it. Instead, they're just claiming that it's a gross overreaction by the DOJ who has weaponized the courts against conservatives. It's exactly what I've been yelling about and what I talk about in my book and what I, you know, what I'm screaming about every time I go on television. All right. When this case ultimately goes to trial, what do you believe will be the centerpiece of the prosecution's case that will make jurors and the general public finally sit up and really take notice to what Trump did and the fact that he is truly deservant of a sentence and a prison sentence at that? Well, the, the, the documents case is so powerful in that regard. And, uh, you know, and I, People understand you are jeopardizing our nation's security if you take these documents and stow them in bathrooms and on ballroom stages. You carry them back and forth. I mean, it's it's so crazy. It's so over the top. Uh, and then it's a, the simplicity. He took documents that he wasn't entitled to. He interfered with the government's possession of our most important secrets. Then he interfered with the investigation. He obstructed justice. It's a one-two punch. You can you can describe the whole case in one sentence, both parts of the case. That's going to sway jurors. And they'll put their politics to the side, Michael. I really believe that. So uh, I think uh, we'll get a fair trial in the documents case. The question is when, and I want to see the judge. I think she should step aside to remove doubts. She's set as a benchmark. It's just a placeholder in August trial date. Now we're going to have to negotiate off of that baseline. Um, you know, I think she needs to move this face case fast, fairly. And if she does that, uh, I'll be the first to say she did a good job. Um, and she should not have recused. I do think it would be better for the justice system if she let somebody else handle it, because there are such profound questions about her prior conduct. Yeah, uh, agreed. And it's also, once again, going back to Alvin Bragg's case and so on. While, and I acknowledge here in New York, in New York City, in the Brooklyn, Staten Island, wherever the jury pool for this specific DA case is going to be, I acknowledge that Trump has supporters, but they're not the diehard sycophants for the, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you just don't see the same sort of sycophantic, you know, um, maggots that occupy that certain swath of South Florida. Um, we just don't have it here in New York. And I think based upon everything that you're saying, the documents being so significant. And if it's not even just that they're significant because the Presidential Records Act says so. 
It's our national security. I want people to go back and remember where they were during 9-11. And I want them to understand that that was the worst act committed against the United States in well over 100 years, if not in our entire history. The fact that Donald had attack plans against Iran, he had nuclear information, makes the World Trade Center 9-11 look like a small thing. That's how crazy it is. So I want people to think for a second, forgetting about Donald Trump. Understand this has to do with your life, your family's life, your, your friends' lives, right? Your states, your country. I mean, we're talking nuclear. We're talking war plans. And the fact that, you know, he refused to give them back in the whole bit, it's, you know, it's really terrible. So it brings me up to this sort of theoretical situation that, once again, you hear all the, the pundits talking about if, in fact, that Trump is found guilty. Can Trump run for the presidency from prison or from jail? And then the real bigger question, should he win? What happens then? Can you imagine this is where we're at? Could you imagine that I'm having a conversation with the great Norm Eisen, Ambassador Norm Eisen, Mr. No, right? Mr. Ethicsar. I'm having a conversation with you here today about the possibility of the president of the United States running the country from prison, from jail, from a home confinement situation. Well, first of all, there is no impediment, no legal impediment to Trump running, even if he should have a conviction. I don't think it'll move this fast, but even if he had a conviction um, and uh, uh, it, 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 it was upheld on appeal and he was in a jail cell, he can run. If he gets elected, there'll be a profound set of constitutional questions. Um, can he pardon himself, Michael? I don't think so. The rule know. in Anglo-American law is that no person, I've analyzed it with Larry Tribe, I've written about it. The rule in Anglo-American law is that no person may be a judge in his own case. So pardons were not intended um, to allow a president to pardon himself. Um, if another Republican is elected, um, they can pardon him. Um, or Trump or that other person could simply order DOJ to drop all the cases. Um, there would be some court supervision of that, but ultimately, if DOJ refused to prosecute, we would see what happened. Um, the cases likely would vanish. Not the um, DA's case by Alvin Bragg. The, Not the Fonnie Willis case. The, that and I'm coming to that. That is why the state cases are so tremendously important because Trump nor anybody else has that pardon power in Georgia. In New York, would have to be the governor. I don't think she's pardoning Trump anytime soon. In Georgia, it's a bipartisan pardon board. They're not going to pardon Trump. So those state cases become very important 
And, you know, Fannie Willis is going to put one on the uh, docket come August or September, a big one. There will be a question, and I think it'll go to the Supreme Court, whether a president can be criminally prosecuted or whether that is interdicted by the Constitution. I think the answer is that a president can be prosecuted and can be convicted and can be jailed. So, um, but that'll go to the Supreme Court if these contingencies occur. Um, But a a reassuring note, um, I don't think that the American people are gonna put Donald Trump back in the White House with all of this legal baggage. He's facing judgment, not only in courts of law, but also in the court of public opinion. And I just don't believe that the American people are gonna go for it. And I think prosecutors are doing their job. They're not thinking about the politics. So it's an unintended side effect that the primary election, and if he makes it through, because he does have a strong grip on the Republican Party, the general election, are going to be a referendum on his legal accountability. I don't think the American people want to put somebody back in control of our nation's secrets who has behaved so recklessly with them. I mean, can you imagine? He could declassify everything and send it to Putin. Um, And uh, I don't think they want somebody who is a known election interferer and coupmeister um, with the election interference of 2016, the gateway drug, and the election interference and attempted coup of 2020, the culmination uh, and then he kept going on his illegality with the document, classified document interference and the interference with Jack Smith's investigation, the obstruction after the 2020 election interference, still more interference. No, that's not what the American people want, yeah, Michael. And they're going to spurn him. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. You- He's... He's lost three big elections in a row. He was trounced in the 2018 midterms. He was defeated in 2020. And uh, and then he, he got, again, repeated embarrassment in 2022. In, he was, he, his name was only on the ballot in 2020. But in all three of those cycles, his endorsements, his people... And his MAGA ideology were very much on the ballot, and they were rejected in all three. They will be rejected again. And may I say, because I know we're getting to that time in the podcast, the part of the difference between 2016 and what we saw in 2018 is the gathering accountability around Donald yeah, I, Trump. And that's why your yeah. podcast and you are so, so important. I, I, I'll tell you have been a big Thank part you. of this narrative. Thanks, Norm. You know, but I think people are, in 2016, they did not know legitimately who Donald Trump was. And I think today in 2022, let me tell you, there's a poll that just came out. Trump's favorability rating is down 10 points in just the past month. So those people who say that these indictments are helping him, I don't see it that way. In fact, 
according to this poll, and you know, I'm not a big fan of polls, but I'm going to cite it anyway. 60% yeah. of the GOP don't even want this putz to run. 85% of all yeah. Americans don't want this putz to run, right? So they finally understand Michael. exactly who Donald Trump yeah. is and how dangerous he is. But a very important part of that understanding, um, what happened? Let me ask you a question. What happened on uh, August 21, 2018, just a few months before the 2018 midterms? Do you remember? No. Michael Cohen pled guilty and ripped the curtain off of Donald Trump's gateway drug, the election interference scheme. That preceded the, your testimony in Congress. It preceded the Mueller report, another very important event. It preceded the first impeachment. You were so important to me. One of the first witnesses I talked to as we were putting that impeachment together. So each of these events have helped tell the story to the American people. My book about the impeachment is called A Case for the American People. The United States versus Donald Trump. Okay, I published that book in 2020 before the election. I wanted the American people to know. Guess what? That, um, the subtitle of the book, The United States mm -hmm. versus Donald J. Trump, that caption now with the Mar-a-Lago documents case, that caption is out there as a, as a real case for interference. The same behavior we saw in the impeachment led to this classified document interference, this obstruction. That's what we were looking at in the impeachment obstruction um, and um, abuse uh, of his presidential power involving Zelensky. So my point is that there's a long arc here of people growing disgusted with Trump when they get to know him. You've been a big part of that, and you continue to be. And yet, I can't even get. And yet, I can't even get a supervised case. release by Judge Furman and by this Nicholas Roos at the SDNY. I can't even get yeah. them to terminate. You know, when I owe no money to Uncle Sam, I know no owe no money to anybody. I still can't catch a break. But I will tell you, you know, I I have so many fears, and I say this all the time. You know, is that. Trump's fear of going to prison is so significant. And I've said this on, I don't even know, countless shows, uh, you know, MSNBC, CNN, ABC, whatever, that he will actually burn or try to burn the country down before they put him in behind bars. And I worry, I really do, that he'll somehow manage to activate his MAGA fanatics and activate them to become loose on the country, whether it's to provoke some form of a civil war uh, between MAGAs and everybody else, or use some of the documents. And this is why, this is, uh, you know, the, to blackmail the nation, right, into letting him go. And that's why, Norm, when I said that I, you know, I don't really believe in polls, but I believe that these numbers are correct, 85% of Americans... 65% of just the GOP does not want Trump to run again. Well, here's the good news. Shall we leave the listeners on an optimistic no. note? Because for all of the travails that you've faced, 
you are fundamentally an optimist and we're friends. And I know that's what keeps you going every morning. You believe in, uh, uh, you believe in people, you believe in the world and you believe Donald Trump is going to face justice. Thanks to your incredible efforts. Uh, and as you point out, uh, not appreciated by everybody. Um, I, I will leave you with this optimistic note. Marjorie Taylor Greene and others tried to rally Trump protesters to the Bragg arraignment. It flopped. Trump himself called on patriots to come to his uh, Miami Mar-a-Lago documents arraignment. That flopped. The Department of Justice has been too slow to bring the federal cases, particularly the January 6th case. But one thing they have done right is the worst people in the country um, participated in the violent assault upon the Capitol on January 6th, at least the worst of Donald Trump's supporters. And they're all in jail, almost all in jail. So the ones who are prone to violence, the militias, the heads of the militias, the followers, you know, they, they are off the board. So Donald Trump may call for those things, but I don't think he's going to get them. I think Donald Trump is going to get that prison cell that he fears so badly. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. I think the American people are going to repudiate him. And there will be no obstacle that we talked about in 2025. And he's going to be hit by these uh, horsemen and horsewomen on every side, criminally, civilly. And Donald Trump is going to face um, justice of a kind uh, that um, he's been evading um, for many years. And uh, all of us appreciate your part in making that happen, Michael. I try to do my bit. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the the people, we, you and I and many, many others have helped wake the country up. Yeah, I I agree with you on that wholeheartedly. I have one final question for you, because as you know, the hour goes by real quick when you're having fun with Norm Eisen. So my final question, if for some unknown reason, because I hear from every, I, I, and it angers me and I don't feel this way, but it's part of the question. I know that Joe Biden is old. Everybody, you know, wants to talk about that. If for some reason that Biden was to step aside, He's unable to run for a second term or doesn't want to run for a second term. Who in the Democratic Party is capable of winning a national election? I mean, who is it that would step up in his stead against the likes of a Donald Trump, a Ron DeSnotnose, right? Or some of these other crazy magas. Um, I'm not overwhelmed by the existing slate of Republican candidates. Um, I, I do think that DeSantis uh, himself is a would-be autocrat and has learned all the wrong lessons from Trump and is attempting to uh, do kind of MAGA light, which is he's also under... Um, uh, a cloud because his administration has been involved with a tremendous number constitutional, civil, and even allegedly criminal 
activities like this, illegal smuggling of migrants, allegedly illegal smuggling of migrants. Uh, there's been a criminal referral made by law enforcement in Texas as a result of his administration's involvement in that scheme. We don't know, you know, what DeSantis' personal role is, but it, he takes credit for it, so it doesn't smell very good. Um, I, you know, in that look, do I, do I? Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think we know the answer, but I'll tell you this, Michael. When you get beyond DeSantis and Trump, the system has a way. The same way it gave us a, a pro democracy person who could defeat Trump in 2020, Joe Biden, the genius of the American people. That's why I believe we'll get a fair trial in Florida. That's why 60% of Republicans no longer want Trump. Uh, even if some of them will vote for him, um, the genius of the system will produce somebody. Could I live with Mick, Nikki Haley? Could I live with Mike Pence? Uh, could no. I, uh, will no. a uh, Glenn Youngkin, will a Glenn Youngkin get in the, get in the case? Their politics are not my politics, but, you know, I think that the, uh, I think that the system abhors a vacuum. So, um, as strong Chris Christie has been getting very favorable reactions. You know, I like him when I, uh, when I was advising the Trump transition, he was in charge of it. He had a good group of people around him. It's not my politics, but I advised the Trump transition as a patriotic American. I helped them on my specialty issues of ethics. So, uh, I think that, uh, I think that, um, you know, the system will, I hope, uh, bring us a good candidate. Biden is, I, I know a lot of 90-year-olds. My mentor is in his mid-80s and, you know, works as hard as he's done for the past 60-plus uh, uh, years. Fred Wertheimer, the, uh, the head of Democracy 21. And he's still, uh, you know, I still turn to him for mentoring and advice uh, let me tell you, he's not of he's of a generation where the, you get pretty blunt mentoring and advice. So I'm not concerned about Biden's age. Um, and uh, he's been a brilliant president. And, I, you know, I think that the uh, I hope the Republican primary system rejects autocracy. But one way or the other, um, I don't think Donald Trump is going to be in the White House in 2025. Not Me happening. too. So Norm, extremely unlikely. I agree with you, Norm. Thank you as always for your insight. Right, ethics are Norm Eisen, Ambassador Eisen. Thank you so much for joining me again today on Maya Culpa and spreading your wisdom Thanks, and your knowledge. I treasure our visits together as we track the arc of Trump accountability. Thanks for your part in doing that. And thanks, as always, to you and to all of your listeners uh, for having me back. Thank you, Thank Norm. You. I'll see you soon, brother. And now for today's mea culpa. While I believe strongly in the need for Hunter Biden to face accountability for his actions, I am really sickened by the glee some are taking in watching him fall. Hunter Biden is not a criminal. I'm saying, let me say that again. Hunter Biden is not a criminal or a corrupt career politician. He's not an evil autocrat or anything close to the way he's being portrayed by the right. 
He's just a man who made mistakes based on a destructive addiction that nearly cost him his life. Millions of Americans suffer from the same thing, but most of them don't have to live their life in public and watch the most humiliating and degrading moments of their downfall paraded across the internet for all to see. As someone who has fallen and made mistakes, and though I hold the DOJ and I hold the Southern District of New York and I hold the system partially accountable, I take ownership of my mistakes, but I also understand the power of rehabilitation and the need for second chances. Because without it, there is no hope for any of us. Our culture has gotten mean, truly mean. And if you live your life in public and you stumble, there is this resounding desire to watch you get devoured and spit out. Now, people don't want accountability. They want humiliation. It's the politics of nasty and nastiness as defined by Donald J. Trump. And as soon as there is blood, well, keep pecking until you've destroyed your opponent. We forget that this is a human being. We forget that this is a man in recovery. Now, sure, he did some stupid shit, but he's paying the price for it right now. But the need to burn him alive in public for amusement and to score political points, I mean, it's just a sad commentary on our time. As a parent, as a friend, you only want the best for your children, your friends, and so on. But ultimately, you hope that they're healthy and that they're safe. I can't imagine the private anguish felt by President Biden as he watched his only surviving son succumb to addiction and in such a public manner. It's enough to break your heart. Yet somehow, Hunter was able to turn the corner. He's going to pay for his mistakes and then hopefully go live the rest of his life in peace. The question is, will we let him? Or will the Trumps of this world succeed in destroying what's left of him in his soul? Let's hope that he does succeed. Let's hope that the politics of nastiness instead devour their own and not people like Hunter who are trying to do better. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. 